0: Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast dedicated to Manchester United from the Athletic, of course. I'm Ian Irving. With us today for the ride are Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell. We're going to be looking back at that welcome win against Brighton. They finally got over the line, didn't they, at Old Trafford after a wretched first half. We'll also look ahead to Leeds and we'll round up any other business. I'm really looking forward to Sunday, but we'll come to that in a little while. Andy, welcome. You all right?
2: Yeah, I'm fine, mate. I'm looking forward to um, two big away matches. Um, I've got other games to cover as well, non-Manchester United ones, but Leeds at the weekend and then Atletico Madrid. Uh, uh, people are really excited about both, just talking to, to fans and people who are making uh, the journey. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and I'm probably sound a little bit more buoyant because Manchester United managed not to draw a game this week, which I'm sure we're going to talk about.
1: <laughs> yes, United and Brighton have still not had a Premier League draw, thankfully. We missed that stat off the last podcast when we were bantering about one old draws. Laurie, what did you think? I mean, it felt like a hard watch at times, but a 2-0 no win is a 2-0 no win, isn't it?
3: I suppose so, yeah, for sure. And listen, it's a hell of a lot better <laughs> than a 1-1 draw, right? Um, which oh, I think yeah. everyone was predicting. Um, but at half-time, it was really dispiriting. You know, we were at Old Trafford and we were sort of discussing it amongst ourselves and everyone, you know everyone you know, entirely was sort of saying this is really, really bad. I was sort of thinking Worst half to, of the season? Worst first half of the season? Quite possibly. I mean, Newcastle was pretty bad, wasn't it? St. James's, I don't know, I mean, that was kind yeah. of the whole game, really. But um, I was kind of thinking back to Burnley I suppose
1: Liverpool was probably the worst first half of the season. Yeah, thinking true. About Or Man it. City. Yeah. There's, a,
3: there's, a, there's a few, but I think... In terms worst of the first half lately? <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's, 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 it's quite a competitive category, that, isn't it, for United this season? Unfortunately, but, yes. At, I was sort of thinking back to Burnley 2-0 you know, from January 2020 when the kind of atmosphere in Old Trafford was, was pretty fraught. There was a lot of tension. I mean, that obviously then triggered United going and signing Bruno Fernandes. But you had anti-Glazer chance in that first half um, that, you know, kind of, like, oh, OK, right, we're, we're kind of there already, are we? Because that's the kind of mood that's sort of bubbling under the surface, really, that um, you get close to. And that first half was just anemic, wasn't it? You know, it wasn't any kind of aggression. There wasn't any kind of cohesiveness the only thing I sort of thought was as Raneyko did the players kind of think well we can't press for a full game so we'll we'll not do it from the first half this time but we'll do it in the second half and obviously it then you know pay dividends in it with McTominay winning that ball and I've got to give you a hat tip Ian you know you text me at half time uh, about the tackles I mean what are tackles as Pep Guardiola want at, wants us but United didn't win a single tackle in that first half and that I can showed the kind of performance they were given. And then in the second half, they won nine tackles and, and two of them, you know, one was for the goal from McTominay and one was for the red card from Antonio Alanga. So clearly something changed. And Ralph Ranney did say that after the game that he told the wingers to go and press the centre-backs, uh, allowing the full-backs to get push on. And that's where the red card came from.
1: In fact, your piece about the tackles and what are tackles, um, are we allowed to base United pieces around Pep the quotes
3: now, are we? It wasn't based around it. I just thought it was quite a funny, you know, little quip. I sort of misremembered the quote. I thought he said, what is tackles? Uh, and then I went action checks and what are tackles? I know it's a menial point. So his anyway. grandma was correct uh, then, that's good. Well his done, grandma Pat. was correct, yep. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> but the point stands, doesn't it? No tackles in the first half for the first time this season in the Premier League. And actually at one point, Laurie, you and I were saying that we thought the first tackle led to the first goal, the second tackle led to the red card but there was actually one tackle before that unfortunately but still it was a vast, vast improvement in that second half handy. but then even after the goal and Ronaldo breaking his, his, his drought or ending his drought and then the red card United still made hard work of it didn't they?
2: Yeah, I think we've got to mention Brighton who've been on a, a very good run had Brighton won they would have been right behind Manchester United and I think we've also got, got to accept how mediocre Manchester United have been so Brighton's record uh, at Old Trafford is absolutely atrocious. They went down to uh, 10 men, but they were a the better team in, in the second half. And it's a, a forward-thinking, successful club, especially given where they've been in the not-too-distant past. Uh, I tweeted that they didn't even have their own ground when Manchester United won the treble. And they've got a very nice ground, very good uh, training ground. They've got a very good manager as well. Their recruitment's good. I liked uh, Cucurella. Uh, he, I don't know why Barcelona let him go a few years ago, but they did. And I always thought he was a decent player. So uh, Brighton done all right, but Manchester United, a clean sheet. David De Gea again was fantastic. I was encouraged by Paul Pogba when he came on, uh, less so by Fred when he, he came back. I thought he had um, quite a, a poor match. Uh, the The change just before kickoff with Varane going out to Lindelof come, coming in couldn't help. Uh, Bruno Fernandes was involved all the time, and particularly in the second half. And again, Jadon Sancho, we've been mentioning him more and more. Uh, he's getting better, which is good to see. And Ronaldo, it's his first goal for a while, and he combined well with with Sancho, uh, with Bruno at times. I think it ended his longest goal drought for, for 13 years, but he had loads of other chances as well, and he set up, he'd set up um, Bruno, um, so, United should still be scoring more, but it was the first time this year in the six home games so far that United have managed to score more than than one goal. So, I take the point and agree with Ralph Rangnick, it is better to finish the game strongly because Manchester United have been finishing the game weekly. They've been much better in the first half, so... These are baby steps, aren't they? And it came on the night when, if you're going to mention Guardiola, City absolutely battered um, Sporting Club 5-0 away. And their results are, they're in a different league at the moment. Just look at, at the league table. But I'm more concerned about Manchester United. People were saying a few weeks ago, no chance for fourth. I think there's a very real chance for fourth, partly because the team's around fourth. Uh, keep losing all the points. We just need Arsenal to start losing a little bit now. Not that, not that we're going to be celebrating with uh, Amaretto if Manchester United get fourth. A <laughs> Prosperits.
1: Or Benny and Hot or any of the other drinks. Estrella Galithia. We've done well in recent weeks. are still getting pictures on social media of people down in drinks. Brilliant. Um, we've talked to quite a lot about Ralph Rangnick's sort of um, openness in some of his answers. And I have to admit, I thought it peaked when he gave great detail of Raphael Varane's illness he couldn't just shrug it off and say it was an illness. He said that um, it was after a team meal at the hotel. Uh, he had a few issues. So he's basically told everyone that Rafael Varane had diarrhoea. Um, we gave him tablets. It, the Imodium didn't work. And uh, he couldn't play it. I thought that was startling. I can imagine Varane just sat home going, come on, boss. You just, there's some stuff you don't need to share, surely.
2: It would have been even better if he would have said, um, uh, Raphael Varane has, how do you say, the shits? <laughs> Zitrots.
3: <laughs> anyway, right. He's like this though, isn't he, Ranić? He just sort of, he comes out, is very candid. I, I sort of also wonder as, as it gets down to this point where, you know, we're sort of asking questions of, of him and, you know, his, his regime, he's thinking, right, I need to actually, you know, protect myself a little bit here. Okay, telling people about Rafael Varane's digestion probably isn't part of that. strategy, but there's been other incidents that perhaps do play to that. I
1: think he could have just kept it at illness. I don't think we needed any sort of further detail on his loose bowel movements, to be honest, but hey, that's Ralph. Um, David De Gea we need to talk about again. Obviously, it's going to be brilliant for him next week going to Atletico, and we'll talk about that on the podcast next week, but his performance once again. I mean, he's Player of the Month for the Premier League, wasn't he? In January, the first time in over a decade that a goalkeeper's done that. He keeps winning Player of the Month awards for Manchester United as well. Anthony Hay has written a piece on The Athletic reacting to David De Gea's words after the game as well, saying that Manchester United need to kill the matches more, need to take the chances. He's grown in, in stature, his voice has grown as the season's gone on. And there's some absolutely ridiculous stats about how well he's been playing this season. It's worrying for the team, really, in fairness, that these are even a thing, really. But he's made 92 saves in the Premier League this season. Uh, which is 12 more than any other goalkeeper. Uh, Ilan Melier actually is second, so Sunday should be fun at Elland Road. But it's the start about um, expected goals prevented that really stands out. He's prevented 9.5 goals on that model this season. So basically, there's an expectation for the chances that Manchester United have had and the shots that they've conceded at goal that the opposition would have scored more than nine goals more than they have this season. That is amazing, Laurie,
3: isn't it? Yeah, that is incredible. That's the first time I've heard that stat. So you've, you've you've caught me there, Ian. I mean, like you think back to last season as well. I'm I'm sure I did a piece. Go check it out on the Athletic if you can about the fact that actually he was performing below this metric. So it was it was something like eight or nine goals that he was kind of letting in that you think should have been saved. So he's really turned it around dramatically. You've done a piece, haven't you, Andy, recently on the goalkeeping situation? We heard about how. De Gea, after the Europa League final, really looked at himself and thought, I need to be better. So he hit the gym, he kind of refocused and redoubled his efforts. He's obviously got Dean Henderson there breathing down his neck. And we know that that's going to be a situation that needs to be evaluated in the summer with Dean Henderson probably looking to go and and get first team football. Um, But no, credit to De Gea because some of the saves, you know, I was trying to rank where that Brighton one would go uh, this season. We would go right up there, but then there's, there's other there's other contenders that you kind of think he shouldn't be getting, and, and you, you see him li- seeing in replays and slowed down, you think that's a really good save, but it's live where you get the the idea of, of how fast his reactions are. Um, okay, listen, people might say Shay Adams, why did he not go with his hands? You know, he gone with his feet there for that Southampton goal, and you can perhaps say that he still doesn't come out as far as you might like in if you're trying to play a high line as defense, you know, and kind of start moves his kicking against Brighton was a bit risky um, but at the same time he is as you said there he's doing the number one thing that a goalkeeper is expected to do which is keep out more than you know um, more, more shots than you kind of might be expected so yeah he's he's, he's playing well and he's he, as you say he's speaking after games I think he's acknowledged that at 30 he needs to be more of a leader vocally so um, yeah all power to him.
1: Have you seen a difference in his stature, Andy? I think we've spoken quite a bit, haven't we, this year about him doing more interviews and speaking more, but it, they're not throwaway lines either, are they? He's speaking with genuine authority, it seems.
2: Yeah, and as Laurie said, he should be doing this. He's a, he's a senior player with the remuneration to match. He's been at the club since 2011. I don't think he did enough media. I think he should have come forward. I'm glad he is this year. I uh, did a big piece for, for the Athletic which went out on Saturday with loads of detail about United's goalkeeping situation, not just De Gea, but the younger lads as well, who's impressing, who's training with the first team. And some of them are like 18-year-old lads, suddenly, right, you've got to save shots from Ronaldo today. It's like, whoa, shouldn't I be going on on loan to Lancaster City? No, no, you're facing (laughs) Ronaldo today. And I think Dean Henderson was very good for De Gea, and he needed that because he knew that while Sergio Romero was very talented, Sergio Romero was not going to be playing every single week. And Henderson pushed him. It's not so good for Dean Henderson that De Gea is cemented firmly now as United's number one. I would expect talks to start later this year with regards to him extending a contract. And I think we're a long way from 2015 where he wanted to go to Madrid. I mean, he's going to be able to go to Madrid next week, so we can sate that desire to do that for a one-off match. But I think he's realised that Manchester United have been very good to him. United fans have been good to him, especially when he's had really bad times playing for Spain. And with each passing year, he moves further and further up the appearances chart for Manchester United. And he's going to be right up there, because as a goalkeeper, there's no reason why he can't still be playing in four, five, six, uh, seven years. So I'm glad because at the start of last season when Dean Henderson came through, there was serious talk about him not being United's number one and Ollie tried to play it diplomatically saying, yeah, we've got two, we're going to share the games between them. But we all know that Manchester United's best teams have had one dominant uh, goalkeeper. So I'm pleased that he's doing well. I'm less pleased that he's doing well because United have not been doing well, if that makes sense. When he has been player of the year, it's tended to be when Manchester United have not been fantastic. I love the idea of a United striker being player of the month. But this is where we are with um, David here. He's been the player of the year so far uh, off the field. He's, he's doing better stuff as well. So uh, if, we, if we're, we're giving him a, a midterm report, I think he's, he's eight or nine.
1: Interestingly, he entered the top ten all time for Premier League clean sheets uh, with that shutout against Brighton. It took him joint tenth with another Manchester United legendary goalkeeper, Peter Schmeichel. Do you know who's got the most though of the former United goalkeepers? Van der Sar's joint with him, Tim Howard. And obviously it didn't work out for him at United, did it really? But it shows the longevity that he had at Everton that he's actually recorded as many clean sheets in the Premier League as Edwin van der Sar, 132. I thought it was really interesting at the time and maybe less so now, but there you go, I've said it now.
3: <laughs> no, um, we're nodding here, we're nodding if you can't see on the listeners. We are, we're agreeing with you. In
1: sympathy, of course, yeah. Um, one thing actually we need to talk about before we move on to preview leads is Manchester United having a potential FA charge for failing to control their players. Andy, when was the last time this happened?
2: Uh, I don't know. I thought you're the stats man on this podcast. i you <laughs> well, I've used them all up t- now, Tim, Tim, Tim Howard ones at me. I cannot remember off the top of my head. I cannot remember. Can you, Laurie?
3: Well, no, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised because Laurie's encouraged they, they by this. Right.
2: You're encouraged by well, this, they, they, I can they, tell by your face.
3: Well, they overturned the, the, the decision, didn't they? So it's a bit of a like... Although, I have to say, and I think I was in a minority here, I was looking at it thinking, oh, they're not going to overturn this. You, you can't overrule that. Oh, thing. he's never getting and People there. on my Twitter feed... He's never getting yeah, that. Well, he's overhit the ball and Webster's there. He, but I'm saying, OK, fine, you could give a red card on the, on the pitch, the referee can give a red card... And it's fine. But to overturn a referee's decision, are you sure that's a clear and obvious? I had people on my Twitter feed, like you, Ian, t- telling me I was talking gibberish and I didn't know what That happens what a I lot, though, doesn't at. it? I know, it does happen. But I- I'm standing by it. I still think it was harsh to overrule it. But equally, I'm going to defend United's players' rights to protest when the decision was overruled, if that makes sense, if I'm not contradicting myself there.
1: Yeah, obviously, it's not good to have United players surrounding a referee and... Um, it was a bit of an ugly scene, wasn't it, to be fair? It reminded me of Andy DeRusso all those years ago in a sense, but...
3: DeRusso? Andy DeRusso, DeRusso sorry. <laughs> Who's DeRusso? DeRus- uh, Jason DeRusso, isn't it? The, uh...
1: <laughs> the, See, uh, the old singer. DeRusso played centre-half and Napoli in this... the 1970s, I think, Andy, didn't he?
2: you keep landing these hard ones on Jason me now Roo, what are you can ask me next i don't know i can name some i can name some napoli players from the 70s but i've not heard of um no, a I've referee just, one i
1: just made it up to spare my blushes and it didn't work um
3: <laughs> sorry
1: yeah. sorry this has got very random at times hasn't it i'm glad you i'm glad you correct me though because i wouldn't have wanted andy deruso on my record to be fair so <laughs> andy Durso. um but yeah it it's it sort of um like you laurie you there's part of you that feels a little bit conflicted because it was a debatable decision and Manchester United influencing games in that way and having the sort of spirit and collective togetherness to do that, Andy. In a sense, there is something to be taken from that, isn't there?
2: Yeah, because a criticism of this United team is that that has been lacking, that there's not been enough characters, that there hasn't been enough togetherness and I think that's been evident in, in results as well. There's always talks about cliques within. The dressing room and I take the information I get in two ways one from former players who think that everything used to be better and they've always thought that and I'm I'm a bit skeptical of that because I can remember some of those former players when they're actually playing and they were very different to what their opinions are, are now but when you are seen it and it's visceral and it's in real life and it's Old Trafford I, I do think that it makes a difference and I think it's important And I've said a few times that when fans accuse players of not having heart, not trying, that is like the most offensive thing that they can hear. Because for all of their faults, and they have had many faults, you basically accuse them of being deeply unprofessional. So, yeah, I'm glad that that they're showing that spirit. They're going to need to show a lot more of that spirit because there's some very, very tough games coming up.
1: Okay, right now you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You can get full access to all our great writing and add free versions of The Athletics podcast, including the correct pronunciation of 1990s referees. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and sign up now for six months at just £1 a month. Uh,
0: stand oh. Stand oh.
1: Right, the stage is set on Sunday, isn't it, for a showdown at Ellen Road. Fantastic. The first time that Manchester United fans will be making the trip for a Premier League game at the home of Leeds United in almost 20 years. This is this is the ticket everyone wanted, Andy, at the start of the year, wasn't it? Brentford was up there because we'd never been there before, but Ellen Road,
3: wow.
2: Yeah, I mean... Depends slightly on the, the type of fan who wanted a ticket for Brentford, which <laughs> might have been slightly more Anarakish. That was <laughs> you know, really I stadium spotting. Yeah, I, I I am an Anorak as well as <laughs> someone who likes to a go hardcore. to hostile <laughs> <laughs> matches. I wear different caps on that one. Leeds away, absolutely brilliant. And they're struggling, the 15th in the league. Uh, I've spoke to some Leeds fans this week. They've only won five games all season. Their goal difference is, is minus 19. It's pretty atrocious. And they need to stay up. Their priority is staying up. But when that game kicks off on Sunday, the atmosphere... Well, I used the word in, in the last answer, visceral. It is, the enmity is so strong there. And I like it. I like that edge at matches. I don't like I don't like the violence. I don't like some of the distasteful songs, which get sung. I think they go way below the belt. But I would much rather Leeds United be in the Premier League playing teams like Manchester United are obviously always in the Premier League because don't get relegated to the third division like Leeds, but it's it's next door. People maybe don't realise it's less than an hour away. It's a big city uh, club. It's a huge club. I, I carried on going there a few times as a journalist when they were out the Premier League, and it was like um, it had been forgotten about. It, st- it was like a club still stuck when they were last in the Premier League. No money had been spent on the stadium Ellen Road is, is not an attractive ground, but it is it is very real and it will be absolutely bouncing on there. I hope that United's performance is more like the ones against Leeds at Old Trafford because they've been two of the very best in recent years rather than the one at Ellen Road last year. That was a really disappointing game. It was played behind closed doors, but Manchester United need to be beating a Leeds side like this.
1: Yeah, anyone who needs a reminder of what happened the last time United faced Leeds Listen to this. What it must be like for these players to walk onto this old truck of pitch after 18 long months and see a full house. Wonderful, wonderful scenes. Tominate. Pogba. Fernandez. Bruno! Yes! Pogba again. Oh, is it crossed the line? Yes, it has! the noise, it is absolutely rocking.
2: Bruno Fernandes.
1: oh, Amazing strike.
0: Fernandes brings the Hashtag.
1: Striding forward, Pogba, nice ball in. Fred! What a day this is. Statement opening day victory for Manchester United. And a first opening day hat-trick for a Manchester United player since 1977-78. Bruno... Fernandes with an opening day hat-trick and Paul Pogba with four assists on opening day. Manchester United 5, Leeds United 1. Yeah, that was the first game of the season, wasn't it? United 5, Leeds 1, a brilliant opening. ram being unveiled. We've talked about this loads, haven't we? Just a fantastic atmosphere. Fans back inside Old Trafford for the first time, properly in ages as well. A repeat of that would do, Laurie, but like Andy mentioned a moment ago, The 0-0 at Ellen Road was rubbish last year, wasn't it? I mean, I remember feeling genuinely excited going there Uh, as a journalist. I was working the game for the Premier League pitch side at Ellen Road, Leeds-Manchester United, all the build-up that that obviously brought. In fact, we'd been to a lot of games behind closed doors during the course of last season and Project Restart as well, and there was no real sort of atmosphere or sense of occasion, to be honest, around a lot of those matches. But going there that day, there was fans milling outside the stadium, the... The restrictions with Covid in the UK had sort of eased enough for people to be able to just be around and you could hear songs being sung outside it came obviously on the back of the protests at Old Trafford there was a police helicopter going overhead you know it almost felt like the build up to a match quite but but this weekend is going to be something else isn't it these Leeds fans have waited so long for a match like this and they'll be even more excited than us I think
3: I can't wait. It's it's my first time back at Ellen Road since Leeds got relegated when I went as a fan in the away end and Roy Keane scored a late winner. How old were you, Laurie? I'm trying to think, what year? 2003? That was the, so last, that was so the last, last game right? there, six, there, yeah. Six, 16, 16 I was. So so you've become a man since in. Leeds have been out, eh? Oh, I don't know about that. You've nearly grown into that hoodie. I know, as I was saying off camera, this is a hoodie I'm wearing, guys, that was my mum bought for me when I was 13. I've still not grown into it. But back then she was like, you'll grow into it, you'll grow into it. I found it like a couple of years ago, actually, and then sort of started wearing it again. In the bin? I had to wash it a couple of times to get the, get the smell out. But um, I did. I wasn't wearing this jumper that day, um, but I was wearing some you know, black outfit because I was like thinking, can't be wearing a United shirt around Leeds. Me and my dad went in the McDonald's across the way beforehand and sort of tried to keep our voices a little bit low. Although some people say that because I went to Leeds Uni for four years, I've got a bit of a Yorkshire twang to some of the things I say. Um, but there's a story from when I was in first year at, at university and went to watch uh, United get knocked out of the Champions League by Benfica in a pub on my own. There was like four Leeds old boys there, uh, and I was like, obviously, you know, a bit, bit despondent. And they were just going, That's what you get, that's what you get, with a few more expletives and kind of, you know, other things that they might call my United fans. Uh, so, and I was on my own, I was like, I can't say anything back really, can I? So I just sort of trudged off back to my student halls. So it'd be nice to go back as a professional. Uh, you know, the, as you say, Ian, the, the atmosphere will just be electric. We, Me and Phil Hay, who covers Leeds United, obviously for The Athletic, who's huge in Leeds, uh, Leeds United fans absolutely love Phil Hay. Uh, we did a piece last year about this kind of game and the kind of animosity and spoke to people that had gone to matches you know, back in the 70s and 80s and kind of just tried to explain to people that might not be aware what a fierce rivalry this is because it has been so many years since fans have been allowed to go. Um, and, yeah, hopefully it is better than that game. I think that was... Last last season, I think that was Leeds went a bit more cautious, didn't they? Because obviously they'd had the battering at Old Trafford, and and they kind of didn't go toe for toe like they did there. So you know the handbrake was on a little bit, and United you know bit out of puff at the end of the season. Didn't they have it an eye on the Europa League
1: from memory as well. United going into that game. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it so a lot, hope,
3: Whereas this one feels like actually you know there's, there's edge to it. There, there should be. You know Leeds need points to stay up. United need points to get into the top four properly. So. You hope that it all comes together with fans in the in the in the stadium, um, a proper atmosphere. I, I can't wait.
1: Yeah, the red rose versus the white rose, like a battle from the fourteen hundreds for the English throne <laughs> between Lancashire and Yorkshire. Yeah, fantastic. I love this game. I've missed it. I've missed the proper sort of mood around it, and uh, I'm not going at the weekend, unfortunately. But yeah, I would love to be there. Definitely, you're very lucky to be there, Laurie. Certainly. Um, in terms of team news for United, do you think Edison Cavani will be back? Your piece on Cavani has just dropped on the athletic, actually, Laurie. I've not even had a chance to read it, to be honest, because it has literally just dropped. Um fresh. Yeah, what's in it? What what have you talked about?
3: I just had a look at Cavani's um season so far and how it's you know differed from last season really. You know, he scored 17 goals last season. It was a it was the end of the season where he really, you know, hit hit form and and kind of had that momentum and scored a lot of goals and important goals, you know, scored in the Europa League final. Um, he's only scored two goals this year and it's more his availability, you know, so I think I did the sums and 43% of minutes that he could play last season, he, he played this season, that number's 24%, so it's quite a significant dip. And, you know, we've had Ralph Remnick explain the extra time in Uruguay, which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gave him at the start of the season, um, the sort of niggles that he's been picking up and he knows his body. We've, we've spoken about it before, haven't we, where he, he likes to be in, in peak physical condition to go out and play the kind of all-action style that he... Um, he, you know, has kind of captivated United fans' hearts with, you know, um, but it is kind of teetering on the edge of frustration where, he, he, when he's not playing. So, I'm the kind of question I'm posing is, can he now actually have an important role at the end of the season, where it's expected that he'll leave at the end of the season? Um, because there has been some advocates for two up top. You know, he played two up top with a back three at Spurs, and that was probably United's best um, performance of the season. And Solsha that week. After the game, sorry, said that that week, Edison Cavani had trained the best he'd ever seen from a United player in his time as manager, which I think was a a kind of message really to others to kind of look at what he was doing in training when he was fit. And that's the kind of approach that he wants to have throughout his squad. So at his best, he's definitely an asset to United. It's just getting him out on the pitch and having him do that kind of work. Um, And then also, yeah, talking about the kind of systems that he could perhaps fit into. And, and let's see, I mean, it would be great if he could kind of, you know, cement that. The Champions League, as you know, you've just said, is just round the corner, Atletico Madrid. If you can have Cavani, Ronaldo, two guys that know that competition inside out, actually as options, then, you know, you never, never know, do you?
1: No, absolutely. If you want to know more, of course, about that, go and have a look at Laurie's piece on the Athletic right now. Okay, with plenty of big decisions to be made then in the coming months for Manchester United, not least who the next permanent manager of the club will be, the Athletic have set up a fan survey to canvas opinion on key issues at Old Trafford. The results will be collated and included in a written piece in the coming days. We'll put a link in the show notes. Of course, it's for Athletic subscribers only to get involved. But if you want to get involved and you're not a subscriber, like I mentioned before, there's that offer on at the minute where you get the first six months at just £1 a month. To sign up, go to theathletic.com forward slash pod. We're looking forward to hearing what you guys think, of course. Uh, but while we're talking about fans, Andy, Manchester United have made a very interesting appointment this week, haven't they?
2: Yeah, they put uh, Rick McGar uh, in as someone who's going to head up communication with fans. and I've known Rick for a long time. He's a proper United fan who's travelled home and away. He's helped United fans a lot in recent years. Uh, He'd worked um, behind the scenes, um, helping with the the Red Army, which I think has been a success, uh, and on on the fans' forums as well. I think you've got to look at it two ways. One, the Glazers, who own the club, will never be popular uh, with a lot of fans, and we've gone over the reasons why for a long, long time. That controversial takeover is still sore for a lot of fans and I understand and agree with why it is still sore for a lot of fans and then two what can someone like Rick do to help Manchester United fans and I think a lot of progress has actually been made in recent years on issues like ticket prices which have not gone up for a decade ticket prices for away games ticket allocations um, price of drinks inside Old Trafford the atmosphere. At Old Trafford. And these are small wins, but they are all wins. And I can remember in the 1990s when United were brilliant, the club basically ignoring fans. And even in the mid uh, naughties just ignoring fans. So fans should not be forgotten about. The fans who go to the matches are the ones who bear the brunt of, of a lot of the changes. And I'm all for supporting those fans, making their life a little bit easier. Because if there's no people supporting him and fighting the corner, then what happens is what happened in the 1990s. Ticket prices just shot up by up to 30% a year, which is unbelievable when you look back. Uh, there was no communication. So Rick will get praise. He'll get he'll get criticism. Uh, he's thick-skinned. He'll need to be. But I've known him for 20-odd years, and I, I I trust him, and I hope that he can help Manchester United fans and... I think that communication is good. It took a long time coming. Joel Glazer did absolutely nothing until the Super League last April. And that wasn't good enough, especially as the Glazers said they were going to communicate with fans. And then they didn't do that. So I think we watch this space. We see what comes of it. I think there'll be a lot of people who who are cynical about something like this or sceptical. I think it's good to be sceptical. There'll always be cynicism amongst uh, some fans. But... I'd much rather have someone like Rick working for Manchester United than someone who blazes in, describes himself as a big Man United fan. And I've seen these things happen over the years. Suddenly you see them at every match. You've never seen them before. And then they just vanish after three years, three year heroes. That's what I call them. Five year heroes. Yeah, I'm a big red. No, you're not. And, and and they don't need to be by the way to, to do a good job at Manchester United. If you're an accountant, you've got to be good at accounts, but I've seen a lot of false, uh, falseness over the years. So uh, I, I wish uh, Rick well in this appointment. And and there'll be more changes as well. Um, we saw Charlie Brooks, the communications director. He's moving on. So if you look at the, the, the tree of the structure of Manchester United, which the Athletic did this week, and we compare it to a year ago, it has changed massively. It really has. People always said to me for 30 years, lots of changes going on here. But they've said that every single year. So there's nothing new there, but there's been a lot of significant changes in the last six months at United.
3: Yeah, Laurie,
1: your piece and your tree showed that, didn't it?
3: Yeah, credit to Sam Richardson, our graphics guy, who takes my scribbles from an A4 piece of paper and pen. I can barely write now. I don't know if you guys have the same. Laptop's the only thing I can do. If, if I ever have to write something, it's a horrendous scroll. So he interpreted that and made it very pretty. Uh, obviously, speaking to people at the club and, and you know, the trying to figure out exactly where people might rank and, and people might quibble with where we've put certain people, individuals in, in that tree, in that organisation chart. But I think generally it gives an impression of the kind of lineage of it. Um, and yeah, as Andy says, it's changed. I think I counted like six different changes from when we did it the year previous. You know, obviously Ed Woodward's gone, Nicky Butt's gone, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's gone and, and various coaches. So it was kind of look at this is the football of the men's side, this is the, the, the football structure have a look at it and you know clearly there's this scope you know David Ornstein had an item in his column uh this week where he was talking about a deputy for John Merton that I know you discussed on the the podcast um football director and that was the that was the the premise of the piece doing a piece on John Merton and, and kind of bringing his position uh to life and, and kind of giving a little bit of biographical detail on that um so yeah hopefully people could read that and and get a bit informed.
1: Yeah, excellent. Go and have a look at that, The Athletic, at the minute. Remember, there's that fan survey as well. The link will be in the show notes for subscribers only. If you want to get involved, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months at the minute at theathletic.com forward slash Pod. But for the minute, thank you for listening. Thanks to Andy and Laurie for being with us and correcting pronunciation of Andy, what was it now? Derso, Andy Derso. Nearly got it wrong again then. Um, We're all looking forward to Sunday. We can't wait for the 2022 version of the War of the Roses. Leeds United against Manchester United. Let's just hope we get three points. See you on the next one. Bye-bye.
3: athletic